Good morning and welcome to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. I'm your editor, Bryce. And I'm your host, Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys about the disappearance of Tara Calico. So pour yourselves a strong cup of fire department coffee and let's dive in. On September 20th, 1988, 19-year-old Tara Calico left her house in Belen, New Mexico so that she could go on a bike ride. This was around 9.30 in the morning, and she had decided that she was going to take her mom's bicycle that morning because her own bike was damaged. Tara took the route that she normally took when she went on her bike rides, and she did tell her mom, Patty Dole, that if she wasn't back around noon, then to come and get her because she would most likely have a flat tire or something. Her mom did ask her to take some mace with her on her bike ride. She always insisted this. Tara did refuse. She said that she would be fine. She didn't need it. She was spotted around 1145 in the morning on Highway 47 in Valencia County, which, like I said, this was part of her normal bike ride, which was typically 36 miles. She did have plans to go meet her boyfriend around 1230 in the afternoon to play tennis. So that was why she told her mom if she wasn't back by noon, then to come get her because she wouldn't have time to go home and get ready for tennis. Now, when you say come get her, you mean like go out and look for her? Yeah, just to go pick her up to, I'm assuming because she drove the same route, her mom most likely knew that route and was just going to drive it to find her. A big 36 mile route. Yes. Good luck, mama. (laughs) Just find her anywhere on that route. When Tara left, she took with her her Sony Walkman, her headphones, and a cassette tape of the band Boston. Around noon, Tara did not return home, so Patty did as requested by her daughter, and she went out and started driving the route that Tara usually took. She continued on and was not finding Tara anywhere so she decided to finish the route and drive all the way back home expecting Tara to be there when she arrived. When she got home and Tara was not there she called the Valencia County Sheriff's Department and made a missing persons report. She knew immediately that something was wrong. Police started looking for Tara and started searching along her 36 mile route which as we've already discussed that is a long route so they have a lot of space to try to cover they do however find pieces of her walkman along with the cassette tape that she had scattered along the side of the road however they were not able to find tara or her bike police did ask witnesses to come forward if they had seen tara or if they knew anything about where she was as she was not with her boyfriend at the time either one witness came forward and said that they saw an older model white or light colored pickup truck with a camper shell in that area And it was supposedly following Tara on part of her trip. So people found it slightly odd that the car was following her. Another witness came forward and said that the passenger of that light-colored pickup truck was an 18-year-old son of a local law enforcement officer. Valencia Sheriff Rene Rivera actually came out and said that multiple witnesses had told him that two young men in the truck had been following her, as we'd already discussed, and they were also trying to talk to her and grab her. Another witness had said that they saw the truck hit the bicycle and knock Tara to the ground, but they didn't necessarily see anybody pick her up and put her in the van. They saw this happen and just left? I'm going to say it was bystander effect. They just kind of let it go. The son of the officer that I previously talked about that was 18 at the time that had been reported to possibly be one of the drivers of the van did end up dying at the age of 21. And this was the result of either a suicide or the result of playing a game of Russian roulette that went wrong. The father of this man did tell police that he thought that his son was murdered 
and that he didn't have anything to do with Tara's disappearance and the fact that people who had been reporting it kind of drug his name through the dirt. The case sat cold for almost a year and then on June 15th, 1989, a Polaroid picture was found in the parking lot of a convenience store in Florida. And this Polaroid picture featured a young woman and a little boy and both victims were gagged with duct tape and bound with their arms behind their backs. This Polaroid photograph was in good condition and both victims were facing the camera and it was very obvious that they were in distress. So police did reach out to Polaroid and when they spoke with them, they said that the picture had been taken after May of 1989 because the film had not been available prior to that date. And once again, this photo was found in June of 1989. So shortly after the photo was taken. In 1989, the photograph did end up on national news, and it was broadcast on a show called A Current Affair. Some friends of Patty ended up calling her to say, hey, we saw this photograph on the news, we saw this photograph on the show, and we really think that the girl in the photo looks a lot like Tara. There were also some relatives of a nine-year-old boy named Michael Henley that had seen the show, and they were convinced that the little boy in the photograph was Michael. And this was a little boy who had been missing since April of 1988, also from New Mexico. Both Tara and Michael's parents met with the detectives and Patty ended up being convinced after looking at the photo herself that the girl in the photo was her daughter, Tara. She did say that there was a scar on the woman's leg that was identical to one that Tara had sustained in a car accident. So she was positive that she was looking back at her daughter. Scotland Yard, which is a Metropolitan Police headquarter, ended up analyzing the photo and they were able to say that the woman in the photo was Tara. However, Los Alamos National Laboratory did do an analysis on the photograph as well and they determined that the woman in the photo was not Tara. The FBI also analyzed the photo. However, their analysis was inconclusive and they were not able to determine whether or not it was Hara. As I had mentioned, the family of Michael Henley did believe that the young boy in the photo was potentially him. He had gone missing while turkey hunting in 1988 with his father. And this was about 75 miles from where Tara was abducted. They did end up finding his remains in June of 1990, just about seven miles from where he vanished. So it was determined that the young man in the photo was not Michael. Bryce, I'm going to go ahead and show you the photo at this time. So what are your thoughts if I show you the photo of Tara and then I show you the photo of the Polaroid? I don't think there's a whole lot of direct comparisons that look familiar between the two, other than that it's a young woman with perhaps similar colored hair and maybe roughly the same type of face, but I don't, I wouldn't have put the two together myself, I guess I should say. I kind of felt the same way when I saw it. I do know that this is very obviously a photo that is strongly connected back to Tara Calico. So I see similar similarities. I mean, I think the eye shape is similar, but I agree that it's just kind of a young woman. I mean, she's obviously in distress. She has duct tape over half of her face. It does make it kind of hard to determine who it is. And her hair is pulled back in this photo, which will be available on our social media for you guys. Since that time period, two other photographs have come out over the years. And Tara's family is always looking at them, trying to identify them to determine if the individuals in the photo could be Tara. The first photograph that came out after that one was found in Montecito, California, close to a construction site. And this one was a blurry photo of a girl's face with tape covering her mouth. 
and there was some sort of light blue striped fabric behind her that looks really similar to the one, the pillow in the original photograph that I showed you. This one was taken on a Polaroid film that was not available until June of 1989, meaning that it would have been taken after that original photo. So Bryce, I'm going to show you this one as well. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. So Bryce, looking at that photo, do you think that it's the same girl? Do you think it's the same van even? I personally don't feel like there's much resemblance, but I mean, when you're, I guess, perhaps a bit desperate for evidence and things seem to be suspicious and like a possibility, then, you know, I could see the young face, someone that looks like they're in a similar area with a similar pillow, maybe, but I don't know. I don't, I don't see it. I think it's hard to see the girl's face in this photo. I can kind of agree that maybe the pillows look the same. I don't necessarily think that it's a blue stripe, but it's very obvious that both pillows are striped. I just don't know the like color. Well, and I feel like a lot of pillows are striped, especially back in like the 80s and 90s. I feel like that was a pretty popular trend for pillows, but I don't know. I mean, it's anything's a possibility, I guess, but it seems a little bit more on the side of grasping for straws. There was a second Polaroid that came out after the original one. So this is technically our third Polaroid that we have. And this one shows a woman who is bound in gauze. Her mouth is covered with gauze. Her hands are tied with gauze. And it's potentially around her neck. I can't tell exactly from the photo. And she's wearing large black glasses. And a male is sitting next to her. And he is not at all bound. And it looks like this photo was taken on a train. And the film that this picture was taken with was not available until February of 1990. So this kind of gives us a timeline of when these photos are being taken at the very least. So I am going to, I'm going to show you this one, Bryce. Where was this one found? I actually don't know where this one was found. Again, there's not enough useful data in this photo. It's not as like blurry or blown out as, as the previous one. But to me, it looks like, like I've, I don't think I've ever actually been in a passenger train but this looks like what i would expect a typical passenger train to look like on the inside it looks like perhaps her a small purse or clutch or a wallet is sitting in front of them a can of sprite so they probably have some sort of like i don't know what the train equivalent of room service is but someone's bringing them drinks perhaps it looks like it looks like somebody like they went to the bathroom got toilet paper and then went back to their seat and staged this silly photo that's what it looks like to me because like if there, there's bound to be other people on this train, there's no way that this just went with no suspicion if she's actually like in trouble, right? So I think that the the fact that her hands are together like that is sort of just coincidental, and you know they're just being silly. Because I mean this is back in I guess at this point 1990, but I don't know. I don't I don't think it's suspicious. Now it's possible that there's some big grand conspiracy where this person you know kidnapped her and is leaving these really obscure random breadcrumbs across the country because these have been in different states and they're just being clever and sort of creative if that's the right word with the photos they're doing and it is this girl and they're just hoping somebody will catch on as like a fun game i don't know that's my best guess is like 
it would have to be some weird thing like that for this to make sense. Yeah, and that's honestly... So Tara's mom believed that the photo with the stripe fabric could potentially be her daughter, but thought that the one on the train was probably just a joke. Somebody was trying to poke fun at something, kind of like what you were mentioning. Well, I also feel like Polaroids in the late 80s were probably the main way that people were taking photos. I don't think digital cameras, if they were even around, were not used very much. Like, as we get into the 90s, I think, was some of that initial cutting edge of digital photography becoming a thing. My timeline could be a little off. But I'm still confident in saying that Polaroids are probably the number one way that people were just casually taking photos. So, I think it's just bound to come across suspicious and weird photos across the country randomly like that so i don't i don't think much of it but again there could be some grand conspiracy that just answers all of this but i don't think so so nothing really happened with this case until 2009 when police chief david barnes received two envelopes that were postmarked for june and august 9th of 2009 and these were both from albuquerque new mexico the one envelope contained a photograph printed on paper that had a young boy on it and somebody had drawn a black band in black ink over the boy's mouth which kind of looked like it was supposed to indicate the same gag from the 1989 polaroid that we had talked about the second envelope contained a photograph with the original image of the boy but he had no gag on that was drawn on then on august 12th the star newspaper in the same area received a third letter postmarked from albuquerque as well with the same image of the boy with the gag over his mouth none of them had a return address none of them identified who the boy was and authorities in the area believe that the photograph of this young boy potentially has something to do with tara's abduction but they don't know who he is they don't know what the photo was they don't know who took the photo they don't know anything there was no return address do they give any indication as to why they think it's related at all other than the fact that a boy was in the photo that the girl that may or may not have been her that's i think the only thing and i don't know if it's just because it was a similar area and so they're just connecting them all and where was this police department that was receiving the photos it was port saint joe in florida okay so i guess again that there's like florida's popping up again which is where the first polaroid was found and it's being sent from new mexico which is where tara went missing so i guess there's like some amount of relation between the two but there was never any photos of a girl received it was just the boy yeah, since the photo on the tra- the previous photos, but the new ones that were sent into St. Port St. Joe police were and just a little boy. This is like 20 years later. Yes. So either these were photos that were taken a long time ago that are just now being sent out, or this is a new boy that's young. Because that other boy would have been 20 years older by now. Yes. Not that that's necessarily helpful. It's just, it, it makes me think that if this were this weird conspiracy theory, then they would have had to have just held on to photos for 20 years and been like, people still aren't figuring this out. Guess I'll send out some more breadcrumbs. Well, and I don't see anywhere that police sent this or like and talked to Polaroid to determine what year this film became available. Like if it's even possible that it was from the 19 from 1989 or if it wasn't film that was available until 2009. We well, said one was printed on paper. Yes. Like from a computer. Yes. And the other ones were what again? They didn't say what the other ones were on. They, the other ones might have been on paper, too. Tara's mom, Patty, and her father, John, ended up passing away shortly after. 
Before Patty's death, she did suffer from several strokes. And though she was now living in a retirement home in Florida, she did wait by the window every day for her daughter to come home on her bicycle. Well, that's really sad. It kind of broke my heart. And Bryce, I know you're not typically on these episodes, but Abby and I have talked about that before where we're covering some of these episodes where a parent loses their child and then just the way that they choose to grieve or go through the loss of that child is just always so heartbreaking. It's almost like the denial phase never really ends. And some some parents, you know, get through it and sort of like accept and heal and move on, I suppose. But I don't know. I don't have kids and neither do you. So it's obviously a bit difficult to imagine what that really is like. But I can imagine that's probably the single hardest thing to go through in the world, potentially, or at least definitely up there. But it is very sad. And I think it's very sad that they both passed away before they ever got any answers in regards to their daughter. However, in 2013, a six-person task force was actually put together that included local and federal law, law enforcement officers, and they were brought on to re-examine the case. They did end up dismantling this task force about a year into searching into it. I'm going to assume that it was probably all dead ends and they couldn't pick up anything and they decided to stop looking into it. However, Tara's younger sister, Michelle, decided that she was going to take up where her mom left off and where police had left off in this case. She wanted to dedicate her life to being able to solve her sister's disappearance. She and a former student of Tara named Melinda Esquibel decided to get together and work to try to find Tara. And they actually started a podcast regarding Tara's disappearance and all of the information about her. And the podcast is called Vanished, the Tara Calico Investigation. So you guys can listen to that podcast because that one's going to have obviously a lot more information. It's going to be from the actual sister and a former classmate of Tara. So it's going to be even more in depth than what we're going to get into. But they started this podcast and they started looking into everything. In 2008, during Christmas, Melinda went back home to Belen, New Mexico, and she met with some old friends for dinner and she started talking about her sister's disappearance. And somebody at this dinner said, quote, oh, Melinda, the whole town knows who did it. End quote. And Melinda was obviously taken back by this because she's like, okay, but it's not solved who who did this. And turns out her friends were talking about the young boys that had been reported to have been driving the truck and the son of the law enforcement officer. And this was right around the time that Melinda decided we really have to start this podcast. We really have to start looking into this. Melinda and Michelle also launched a website that is taracalico.com. So you guys can go and check that out. It definitely has a lot of good information. It has her story. It has information about the podcast, um, different projects that they're working on, and any sort of press that has been coming out. Their main goal is that they're just going, they're trying to find answers. They would love to be able to bring Tara home for a proper burial and they would like to see her receive the justice that she deserves. They do not have high expectations of finding Tara alive or really being able to rescue her. The next thing that we hear about is in November of 2013. Supposedly, there was a dying confession of a witness that had said there were three men, including the officer's son, that were all involved in the disappearance. And this individual said that the bike was thrown in the Belen junkyard and her body was thrown into a pond by the young men. They they claim that they witnessed this or it's just what they've heard? They, they claim that they'd witnessed it. Does that make them the third person? 
and they're trying to talk retrospectively from an outside kind of, I don't want to be guilty, but here's the truth kind of way. It could. Either way, that person is deceased by this point. I don't know for sure, but as far as I know, this story has not been corroborated in any way. Well, if if Tara was 19 back in 1988, she'd be into her 50s by now. I think 52, depending on when her birthday is. But So yeah, that, that does make it... I, I feel like that does make the chances pretty low that, that one would ever find her in a method that would allow you to rescue her, but... I mean, it is it is noble to continue the search as a family member. Yeah, so that is all the information I have about her disappearance. I'm going to go through her description for you guys and obviously where you can send information if you have any. So Tara was last seen riding a neon pink Huffy Mountain bike with yellow control cables and sidewalls. She was wearing a white t-shirt with First National Bank of Belen on it, white shorts with green stripes, white socks, white and turquoise avia tennis shoes. She was also wearing a gold butterfly ring with a diamond insert, a gold amethyst ring, and half-inch gold hoop earrings. She also has a large scar on the back of her right shoulder and a dime-sized brown-colored birthmark on the back of one of her legs. She has hazel eyes. She was 5'5 to 5'7 when she disappeared, 115 to 120 pounds. The FBI is also offering a reward of up to $20,000 for any details that would lead to being able to identify her, being able to identify her body or where her body is located, and any information leading to the arrest or conviction of those responsible for her disappearance. If you have any information concerning this person, please contact your local FBI office. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.